Welcome to our new episode of Waste Not and Feed the Need, the podcast of Loaves and Fishes Family Kitchen. In today's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Kimberly Cook, the Business Development Manager at Agriman. Please enjoy. Welcome to Waste Not and Feed the Need, the podcast with Loaves and Fishes Family Kitchen. Uh, my name is Lauren Compatello. I am one of the new co-hosts. Um, I'm here today with my co-host, David Hot. Hi, David. Good afternoon, all the listening audience out there, and good afternoon, Lauren. All right, perfect. So um, we have Kimberly Cook uh, on our call today. Um, Kimberly is the business development manager at Agroman and is an expert in composting operations. Um, welcome, Kimberly. Hello. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, yeah, we're excited to have you today. Um, how about we just sort of start with the general um, introduction, just um, you can go ahead and introduce yourself and your organization to start. You got it. So I work with, as you mentioned, business development and marketing for Agriman Premium Soil Products. But I will say, since we're a small company, I do a little bit of everything um, throughout the state. Normally, my focus is uh, central and northern California, but I work wherever the need is. And Agriman is a biotech company that works in the space of the environment, climate change, and soil health. We're best known as being a commercial composter, and we're in fact the largest organics recycler in the state of California. And so we take the um, organic material from cities and counties that contract with us, and we compost it, create a high quality compost product that goes back out to agriculture and a variety of outlets that use it. We've been a family-owned company since 1972, headquartered in Ventura, served 200 jurisdictions across 12 counties in California, and recycle over a million tons of organics each year. Right on. Nice. Love it. Love it. I think the background is awesome. And I was fortunate enough to see you speak and I love your passion. And I love that um, when you speak, you speak from a perspective of how it helps to support the initiatives that your organization is focused on. So one of the most, I'm sure, well-known, at least to some of the people like myself who are hippies with short hair, I say it on every podcast, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, how are we, how do your efforts help to support SB 1383, the, you know, it's nothing that we are, none of us are talking about SB 1383, right? Um, you know, and no, <laughs> we're, we're not asking you questions about food recovery because that's my, you know, bias opinion. Forget about that. There's a lot more than just food recovery related to the SB 1383 guidelines. So could you tell us a little bit about, you know, how, how you're approaching um, SB 1383 in your efforts? Absolutely. And for some background, so uh, should I give kind of the high level understanding of what SB 1383 yeah, that is? Would be awesome. That would yeah. be awesome. Please. Okay. Just because I'm not sure where everyone's coming from and if everyone has dreams about it like I do, or maybe they're not as connected. <laughs> But the Senate Bill 1383 in California requires 75%. Well, it's a climate change bill. So the focus is to divert organics, organics being food waste, as well as tree trimmings, grass clippings, things along those lines, and agricultural materials 
to divert those from landfill. The reason is because organics in landfill decompose anaerobically, meaning without oxygen, and create methane. So one of the routes for diversion of organics from landfill uh, in the a bit more most widestream and um, uh, less expensive, let's say, than anaerobic digestion is composting. And composting is an aerobic process, meaning with oxygen. Um, and so that's what that's what we do is the composting part of it. Now, as I was saying, the regulation requires 75% diversion of organics from landfill by 2025 from the 2014 levels. So this means by 2025 and then thereafter that a maximum of 5.7 million tons of organic waste will be permitted to be disposed in landfills, regardless about population fluctuations and uh, increase of waste generation. So on the composting side specifically, um, as I mentioned, there's a few ways to, to recycle the diverted organics. Um, and just as a bit of a, an overview before we zero in on composting. So there's the anaerobic digestion or co-digestion, which involves more technology, but also produces a biogas or a renewable natural gas that has a variety of uses. And a co-digestion can be multiple streams like a manure, uh, biosolids mixed with food waste to create the gas. Um, another way to recycle the organics is you can chip and grind wood and then use that as a mulch. And as I mentioned, composting is really the most easily scalable and flexible route for uh, recycling the variety of organics that we do get. And the composting process involves taking the material, uh, removing anything that shouldn't be with the organics. So for example, if I receive organics from cities and counties, um, they can be from the residential bins that are collected. It can be from commercial restaurants. So we'll receive all of that. Remove anything that's not organic. You know, sneakers and TVs um, are things that would not and should not be in the organic stream. So anything that's not supposed to be there is removed. We'll chip and grind material to two inches, uh, two to four inches in size, and then put all these organics into these long rows on the ground called windrows that are about 100 feet on average in length by 20 feet wide by about nine feet tall. So if Massive. you en envision, <laughs> yeah, Massive. just these big, yeah. quite different from backyard composting, which oh, um, I also used to teach back in the day as a 4-H student. Uh, but on the commercial side, they're very long. They're all highly regulated by the state of California. Um, and just like a, a plant or anything else, so this com these compost piles, they, they heat up and they need to be nurtured. So we're watering them just like we'd water a plant. Mm -hmm. We're turning them to make sure that they get oxygen and they don't get too hot. And the, the compost piles create this amazing home for fungal and micro uh, and bacteria colonies that just eat the organics that are there. And that's that decomposition process. The piles heat up uh, to be really hot, 131, 151, 160 or so degrees. And then the material breaks down over, depending on uh, who the composter is, one month to two months, and then creates oh, wow. a compost 
that is mostly used by agriculture in California can also be used by landscapers and then some by home gardeners. So that's really the composting process in general. And so 1383, with the diversion of organics from landfill, then is uh, most often driving a lot of those organics to the composting industry. And so we're really making a number of changes to meet that call as the material streams are starting to increase. And then there's the food waste component that's added to the, let's say, normally green waste only streams. That is awesome. Well, I had the opportunity to tour a facility at the refed conference that I attended in Minnesota. And uh, it was wonderful just to see the scale. And, and you spoke very, very well about like giving a visual of how big those piles are, those rolls, those rows are. And then I wasn't aware the temp got so high. So really appreciate walking through the overall, not only the understanding of uh, what in fact SB 1383 is, I also appreciate that you walked us through your piece and part that you and your organization are focused on to help support the effort of reducing that greenhouse gas that goes up into the ozone. So thank you, Lauren. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the for the explanation. Um, I, I think something else that I was sort of interested in, and this is sort of jumping back a little bit, but how did you how did you sort of get into the composting field? How did you um, yeah, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, so that is a great question. <clears throat> and I'll answer that by kind of taking a step back. When I was in high school, <clears throat> I was uh, I was in the 4-H club for many years. I learned about composting somehow. So we started composting in our backyard. And then I, I like saw people throwing things away that could have been composted and could have gone back to the soil. And, and mind you, I didn't grow up around agriculture at all. I wasn't exposed to that. And I grew up in Southern California. So I got a, a grant, a 4-H grant for $1,000 to teach backyard composting. So as a high school kid, I'd leave on my lunch break and go teach backyard composting at a community center to a group of adults. <clears throat> so that was my first exposure to composting. Didn't necessarily assume I would do anything with it. Didn't know there was anything, to, had never heard of a commercial yeah. composting site. So left to join the military for 12 years. The last six is a naval officer on warships around the world. And then when I started my transition out and really was looking for who am I, what am I passionate about, where can I have impact and influence on the world around me, I, over a period of time and a lot of conversations with folks, made my way to um, Agriman and Bill Camarillo, who's the CEO of the company, and also Marine Corps. And normally I put in a plug about how the Navy's better than the Marine Corps, but I'll save that for later. <laughs> and the rest was really history. I, um, I, we resonated well. He had a need for um, someone to work with the company here in the North. I was very familiar with composting, had a passion about not just the composting, the waste reduction element in particular was fundamentally important to me. So diverting organics from landfill and then the, the tie-in with agriculture and soil health was always something that I never worked with directly other than my backyard vegetables. <clears throat> but this was just such a marrying of two things that I felt so strongly about. And here I am. Here you are. Perfect. Thank you. I, I always <laughs> like to ask folks kind of, um, 
you know how how they got to where they are today so mm-hmm. um, love that um david did you have something else yeah you know now i'm gonna talk about something that you know i'm sure impacts all of us and that is how how do you approach working with local jurisdictions and 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 counties within the state of california because having the i'm part of uh, the NICRA board. I'm a board oh, member, sure. and and then uh, CRRA. I also sit on a few committees there, and there's always dialogue. And each part of the state has its own unique nuances. Um, mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about how you approach that? Because, it, and I'll have to pause once more. Man, the amount of land that's necessary to do this activity, mm-hmm. especially in one of the most expensive states, right? How do you approach that? And and I know I asked about a six-part question, um, not my intent. However, <laughs> as I mentioned earlier, I think out loud. Um, so whatever part of that question that you heard you'd like to address first would be wonderful. Sure. So, the of, of course, Northern California and Southern California are kind of two different states in themselves. And I'm also similarly on the CRA organics board and, and, and with a number of those groups. So really jurisdictions will come with a number of things on their mind, let's say related to SB 1383. A lot of them are similar and overlapping, but then there's always several that are specific and tailored to that city or county and challenges that they work with based on their location, their population, whatever that is. So really a lot of it is just step one, understanding what the challenge is or what the need is of that city or county. Um, And there's always for every challenge, there's always a solution and an opportunity. So it's just kind of a general answer to the general question, but it's, you can't really address some of the challenges until you have that conversation. I'm not sure if that general answer addresses. It does does because honestly, on every committee that I sit on, that's about as far as a lot of us have come because Mm -hmm. we're all learning about how each impacts the other. Mm-hmm. And, and I and I appreciate that. And North and South, you know, I grew up in California. This is my home. There's always been this NorCal, SoCal um, rivalry that has happened. You know, we can do it better in Southern California or we can do better in Northern California. What I'm grateful for, we don't have the same rivalry between the, the Marine Corps and the, and the Navy. However, <laughs> it's, it, it's, it's, it's still a unique conversation to bring to light to how somebody who does your work can really do a, a a deep dive in finding out what your 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 customer will say is looking for, and then how you can tailor that for said customer. So, with that thought in mind, what do you find to be some of the bumps or the challenges that you're facing at present um, with the overall effort that you're you're working towards, and that is to reduce organics in the landfill. And so I'll answer that holistically, both kind of wearing my jurisdiction hat and then wearing my composter hat, because they're all challenges that may affect us differently, but we're all involved in it. Um, So, of course, on the jurisdiction side, one of the biggest concerns is the funding. If you're going to implement a change, then there is money that has to go towards that to then have the food waste 
separated from the rest of the stream and then collected, whether it's separated at the residential side or separated at a processing center, there's money involved in that. Um, and so that's obviously been one of the biggest concerns, hurdles and frustrations for the jurisdiction is here's this regulation that's requiring me to do make these changes um, even though there may or may not be enough infrastructure currently in their immediate area to support the required changes, and they may not have enough funding available uh, to support the changes that are needed, which could be adding new bins to residents or commercial sites, adding new trucks, new routes, new processing systems. <clears throat> so that's obviously a concern. On the composter side, um, so now, and, and it's going to vary throughout the state, whether if they have the one big bin system where you put your recycling, uh, uh, landfill trash and organics in one bin, and then it's separated um, at a processing facility. Or if you're a site that has bins, you know, the recycling bin, the landfill bin, and then the organics bin. So there are variations throughout the state. <clears throat> but in general, with the assumption of uh, or the example of the organic spin, um, where it's source separated, so you can put your tree trimmings, grass clippings, and food scraps all in one bin, <clears throat> and then it comes to a composter. One of the things that we've seen a lot is just, uh, and as we expected, uh, the contamination has definitely gotten a lot higher <clears throat> because of, I think it's just, right, it's something new. Everyone's putting on the training yeah. wheels. Yeah. You know, if you think about it and compare it to if there's a regulation that says, you know, big corporations can't produce, you know, X amount of emissions. Well, that that's then a big corporation that has to make that change. These changes for 1383 require every individual to to have a behavior change to help us mm -hmm. in the state collectively meet the requirements that we need to. <clears throat> and so that's really unique. And so as everyone has their training wheels on, can I put this in my organic spin? Can I put that in my organic spin? Um, the, you know, we're getting a number of things that um, shouldn't be in the organic spin. So <clears throat> how the composter handles the organics will also be a little um, individualized depending on that composter. <clears throat> and if they're removing the organic, the contamination on the front end or composting, everything that comes in and removing contamination on the back end. I can say on the Agriman side, um, I invest a lot in making sure that we are removing the contamination on the front end. So I'm just chipping and grinding the organics only to the best of my ability before it goes to composting. So the contamination is a challenge. Where's the funding going to come from? <clears throat> and then the ca capacity component. When uh, in California, there are different tiered um, permitted composting facilities. So the lowest tier is a green waste only. <clears throat> Once you add food waste to the green waste stream, then that requires a higher level of permitting, specifically a full solid waste facilities permit, similar to what a landfill would get just once you mix the food waste component with the green waste. So if cities and counties have decided to have their food waste and green waste mixed, but then their local composter doesn't, you know, doesn't have the capacity to send all of the now green waste and food waste to a full solid waste facilities permitted site, then that capacity can become a challenge. Um, so a number of different dynamics 
that with any new regulation that is very progressive, it'll take several years and more conversations and different adjustments until we really smooth out and it becomes a normal thing that we're all doing. Just like recycling. Back in the day, the thought of having a recycle curbside recycling bin was absurd. And now <laughs> we've all grown up with it yeah. and it's, right. yeah. there's, there's no stress about it. So we're going through mm-hmm. the same process now. And it's really just important to continue with one foot in front of the other each day, speak up about what's working and what's not working. And we'll kind of navigate this t- together, both on the city and County and the composter side. And each year that goes by, things will work themselves out a bit more. Yeah. And it does definitely go back to messaging and education and communication what you know what's in it for me because you're right i love the point that you made about changing behavior that's the toughest thing to mm-hmm. do in any change or environmental shift is to determine how do i present this message so that the the audience that i'm trying to speak to wants to do this right and i also agree that it's just going to take time and persistence um we just met you know, in person, or we'll call it virtually in person uh, today. Um, and I think you can tell I'm a little persistent. Um, I, I wake up at five o'clock in the morning, I'm ready for my day and I do my thing, right? And I just keep going and keep going and keep going. And I think that all of us in this this segment or this space have a similar energy to do the same work because I'm doing this to save Mother Earth. I want mm-hmm. it to be around for my kids and my grandkids. And uh, this just so happens to support that effort. And I really appreciate uh, what you shared. Lauren? Well, and real quick, if I could. Yes, please. Yeah, go for it. Yes. So, David, to your point about like the, you know, education and messaging that's needed. So to me, so so I took this uh, community-based social marketing class. It was a four-day certification course. Uh, gosh, probably five years ago when it was offered in San Francisco. And that was phenomenal. I really encourage anybody who's in the space that has to, is tasked with presenting, with changing human behavior to take this course. And one of the key things it talked about is that it is not as simple as um, marketing, right? And so we learned about in this class, there's all these studies um, that show, you know, populations can have the knowledge, right? I know I should, uh, put my organics in this bin, you know, on my counter and put it in the, in the organics bin, something like that. So it's not just the knowledge element. One of the things we learned is you need to understand what the barrier is to the behavior change and that that can vary from city and county based on different populations, different locations. And so you can have the knowledge, you can know, in some cases, if you have a low flow shower head that you will save water. So there, and you'll save money. And so that's, what's in it for you. You save money. And yet so many people mm-hmm. don't have a low flow shower head. So it's, what is the barrier to the behavior change that is desired that needs to be understood. And it takes a little bit more time, effort, energy, and money to figure that out. But I do want to really uh, communicate that in my opinion, and from what, from what I learned in that course, it is not as simple as just putting out the information and assuming that the behavior change will happen. We'll continue to spend lots of money educating people on what to do, but really we need to understand for the different populations, 
what, what, um, how can we help support that behavior change tailored to that group? So I support that course and and it was very life changing for me. Totally. Thank you very much for that point. I, it's so true. And it takes effort and patience. It takes asking the right questions and pausing to listen for the answers and then asking the right questions and then pausing. And it does take time, which takes funding, which, uh, you know, that's what makes, I think, sometimes the effort that I know we do sometimes bumpy because, you know, we've got to sustain our effort. We need we need to sustain the ability to be able to not only divert food from the landfill, we also need to sustain our effort in helping to support those that we serve in the community through the meals that we recover um, with the green waste and the composting. And I, and I love the point made if it's combined, the local jurisdiction has to change the infrastructure that they purchase. That in turn is going to take a different funding model. That in turn is going to take more time. You know, it's also very, you know, we're all related, right? It all connects mm-hmm. to each other. And uh, I, I really appreciate the passionate response. Um and, and how we're approaching the solution. So, you know, Lauren, did you have any other follow-up to? Yeah, I mean, I, I was just points? gonna, <laughs> I was just gonna, um, I, I wanted to ask you, Kimberly, I mean, what what can folks do to help? I mean, are there any steps that folks can take um, to kind of get involved in the, the commercial and residential uh, arenas of, of organic waste or? Um, you know, what, yeah. what, what can people do? Yeah, you bet. <clears throat> and I appreciate the question on that. So the first thing is to make sure that you yourself, and of course, anyone that would be interested in this is probably already taking action, already <clears throat> diverting their organics and, you know, knows what to put in the bin and what not to put in the bin. But that's definitely step one. Make sure that you have the correct knowledge and information for your, uh, for where you live and that you're taking those actions. And then the second thing that I really encourage is be the change that you want to see in the world. So you may be, right, probably the three of us, we're going to be superstar organics recyclers. <laughs> but what about our neighbor, Barbie. our friend down the street, right. our, fa- our family that lives a few blocks over? Mm-hmm. Um, how involved are they? And so I encourage everyone, you know, in your own way, that's, that's unique to you. Think about how you can engage others that may not be as active in this space of, in this case, organics uh, recycling, how you can maybe have a conversation. Maybe it's something you go over and say, Oh, like, do you have an organics bin? You know, I've got Mm -hmm. one on my counter. Did you get one or do you need one? Um, and just kind of ask how, how's your experience been with it? Or do you like it? And then you can kind of start to hear in the case, if they're not actively uh, diverting their organics, well, what are some of the barriers you can, every individual can start to do your own barrier research that we learn about in community-based social marketing. Maybe your friend, neighbor, or relative says, Oh, well, I, I never got a bin, so I don't know what to do. Well, you might be able to direct them on where to get a bin. Yeah. Maybe they got a bin, but, you know, one of the common 
things that people say is like, oh, well, it gets stinky and slimy. So maybe you can offer something that you do that's been successful. So for example, I would line the bottom of my bin with the newspapers that were dropped off in front of my house or that I collected around and about. So then it kept it a lot cleaner. So you can kind of casually um, understand what other people's barriers are and offer solutions. You know, I had friends years ago that, um, who I visited and over my time in the Navy, and I used to talk about recycling all the time. And, and I tell people that I lived with about the different numbers on the plastic bottles and what they meant and what was recyclable and what was, <laughs> you know, greenwashing and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I have friends that call me to this day and say, Kimberly, 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 I have this new, you know, some recycling bin. And I wanted you to know that I got these reusable bags so I don't have to make more trash. And I, at first when I was, you know, kind of just doing what I do and sharing my recycling knowledge with people, I just did it because it was important to me and maybe I live with them or worked with them. And I thought it was fascinating that now over the last decade, people will call me back. They think of me when they do something that is in support of things related to recycling because I'm important to them. So they'll kind of take on these behaviors as well. So I find the same thing can apply on the organic side, but everyone just has to approach it in a way that's kind of genuine to them and just start Mm -hmm. that conversation. And that also circles back with a community-based social marketing, right? If all of your family is recycling and you're not, well, you may be more likely to do it because, well, they're doing it. And there's kind of this social pressure that goes along with if your family's all doing it or the community's all doing it or it's expected. So we have to get there over the years with the organics diversion and recycling. And it starts with all of us as the individuals who care about this space and realizing that we have a lot more ability to impact just people in our, in our network little by little over time. And so that is where everybody can have influence. Right. Yeah, like, and I, I love that. Yeah, sorry, definitely. Sorry, Go ahead. No, you're, you're talk fine, over David. You. I used to talk no, over a... Mauricio all the time, and <laughs> that's just what we did. I don't want to start that habit. So no anyway, I just did. Back to you, Lauren. <laughs> I just no, wanted I, to had one thing. I was just going to say I, I love that because it's so, you know, it's so simple, and it's something that we can all we can all do, you know. Um, and it kind of reminds me, it makes me think of, you know, people in my own life, like, uh you know, my parents, for example, who, um, you know, I, I had bought them a, one of those little, uh, you know, compost containers that they can keep in their, in their kitchen. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I thought, I thought that was enough to just, you know, give them that. And, um, sure enough, I went over to their house recently and saw that it was just sitting in the back backyard <laughs> getting, mm-hmm. getting rained on. And so, um, so anyway, just going back to your point about kind of that education piece and how important it is to really, you know, just giving somebody the um, compost uh, bin to keep in their in their kitchen, um, like in my parents' case, um, sometimes isn't enough. So anyway, that was kind of a tangent, but 
Yeah, uh, no, but you, you got yeah. it. And that's, that's right on. So what was the barrier yeah. to your parents not using that bin? They're, they're not alone. These bins are passed out everywhere. Some folks yeah. naturally use them. Some folks don't. So for the folks that don't, then understanding what that barrier to them using it is. So then we can help them find solutions and kind of get them on board with, uh, with using it. And everyone's going to be influenced a little bit differently. So. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And it, it sounds, it sounds like, you know, uh, to me that as we all work towards the individual goals that we have to help influence change in behavior, that we have to be the change that we want to see. I yeah. love that you said that because that's yeah. so important to trying to impact any social change. And so, you know, we really want to, I, I would love to thank you for, for all of the information that you shared with us and all of the aspects of of, of this effort that you and your company are doing. Um, I want to also thank our sponsor, um, Cal EPA, for helping to provide some of the funding to help us to continue to bring leaders like you uh, to the conversation about things that impact all of us throughout the state of California and beyond, right? Because we're all working in many different locations and we're hopeful that our listeners are listening from other areas. Um, so that said, when you, you know, with, with, with that said, for me, is there anything that for you, Kimberly, that comes up that you want to make sure that our listeners leave with as far as, you know, that thing that you feel is, you know, most important? And I know you've touched on many of them. Um, what keeps you up at night? What could they do to help you with that? You know, I think it would really just be saying again, the be the change that you want to see. So I, I do challenge everybody that step one <clears throat> is to do your own organics diversion properly, but that's only 50% of the puzzle. Step two is then to have those conversations with others, um, to support them and also uh, sorry, diverting the organics correctly. So there's really two steps involved. It takes some effort to, to look outside of just what you're doing. And I challenge and encourage everyone to do that because if we're able to have these little impacts with the folks around us, that feels great. It's a great way to spend time. And then we're all progressing together. Right on. Thank you. All right. Awesome. Well, Thank you so much, Kimberly, um, for your time and for all the information. Um, and uh, we will be back next time. Thank you all both. Right. I really enjoyed chatting with you and I appreciate the opportunity for inviting me on. So thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you.